All right. Hi, Filmatics. Welcome back to part two with Jeffrey Kramer, actor and producer known for Jaws, Clue, developer of X-Files with producing partner David E. Kelly, Sweet Smell of Success, the Broadway play winning Tony Award with John Lithgow and Ali McBeal and The Practice. And he has three Emmy wins and three Golden Globes for The Practice. Oh my gosh, let's let's uh, continue with this great conversation. Jeffrey, welcome back. Hi, good to be back. <laughs> yeah. Too. So we were talking about your shows and you were talking to me about um, how you, um, you worked with David E. Kelly, The Practice, and how it was really important to have a time slot and a day. So like Saturday was a kiss of death, but you guys smashed it in the rankings. So I was wondering. Well, because David said, David, we just made the best show we could possibly make. And it just turned out that people came to it. It was that good. Yeah. And, you know, so that I love because um, having great content, you need great content. And so people that write scripts, um, scripted content, whether it's TV series or films, long content is very, you know, it takes someone a genius to sit at that computer and work With, on that to finish something. Without like a doubt. And it, this, you know, the New York Times did an article about television at that time and said that particularly David shows, and I was so proud of him and them, that we were doing some of the best work in Hollywood better than the movies at that time. Amazing, amazing. And um, uh, nowadays there's like TikTok and Instagram. So people are doing like these pranks, these improvs and these comedy little, like the little mini reels, like uh, one and two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. And then also they're streaming. So have you seen how that, like COVID or the pandemic, how the move from streaming has changed um, your art? Yes, in the sense that in a way they bought, brought back things like miniseries you can do now on streaming and and also you can do things that you couldn't do on broadcast and you'd have to go do it on let's say premium cable but they the streamers have become the premium cable and they have something for everybody and it kind of they're the new networks and the, in many ways they have expanded and broadened the reach of television because it's yeah, all the movies now because of COVID are on TV and you can't go to a movie theater. And it's 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 weird because even now when we pitch, we pitch on Zoom. <laughs> but Zoom kind of takes that spontaneity out of it. You know, you you try to get it down as best you can and you try to make it as presentational as possible. So we have um, sometimes a, a deck with pictures that will help augment your storytelling and that makes a difference in this oh yeah so you're zooming a lot and yeah zooming yeah it's kind of fun you, you either put the fake background so no one can see your dirty dishes behind and that's right <laughs> and that's right yeah and i do a lot with um, a lot of people have animals and dogs and sure enough a dog's gonna bark and always an ambulance or a fire uh, um a police car is gonna go by you're like no can't you wait until i'm done <laughs> yeah that's right but one of my For favorite sure. One of my favorite things, I think, along with many, many people, is we like binge watching. So uh, you can see the whole show from beginning to end. I get it. But you know what's really interesting is that now it's totally accepted and it helps grow an audience 
when I started, when I started in Fox, they couldn't repeat an episode for six months for fear of hurting the growth of the audience. If you showed it over again, they thought nobody would watch it. And so interesting. Yeah. And nowadays it's like all about the binge watching from beginning to end, like Game of Thrones. I mean, binge watching Game of Thrones. And oh, you bet. Yeah. And it took, bet. it took me a while to get into it. And then once I got into it, I would just be screaming at the TV. No, how did they get rid of John Stark? No. Oh, I just binge watched Call My Agent, which is my favorite. It's just unbelievable. It's on <laughs> Netflix. It's so much fun. It's so theatrical. And it's just joyous about the industry. It's just so great. Oh, call my agent. Well, they can call Jeffrey Kramer. Dude, come on, do a little acting. Yeah, they can call me. I act. I do voiceovers. Call me. Hey, hello. (laughs) Don't call us. We'll call you. I like that. And so um, so you went from TV. Is there any other shows you want to talk about? We talked about the X-Files, how spectacular um uh david decoffney and jillian anderson is we talked about your amazing the practice we talked a little bit about ali mcbill with calista flockhart how you discovered these incredibly talented actors that came quite out of nowhere right well yeah but i always have a i always have a uh whatever i do it's got to be about something it has to have a a good concept or conceit you know, I'm out there now. I have a book that's written by a woman I know and I admire and respect named Laura Blumenfeld. It's called Revenge. Ooh. And this is a true story. In the 1980s, Al Fatah was shooting uh, tourists in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and they shoot her father in the head. They doesn't kill him. The shooter is captured. It grazed the father's head. She's a reporter at the Washington Post. And she is infuriated that somebody tried to kill her father and she wants revenge. She then goes around the world to Albania where they have a book on revenge, to Iran where the mullahs have all sorts of rules about revenge. And she goes to the mafia and in Israel. And then she goes and befriends the shooter's family. They don't know who she is. They just know she's a reporter doing a book about revenge. And it's so interesting because they fall in love with her. The family wants to name a grandchild after her. She has the brothers smuggle letters into prison for the shooter to answer. And eventually, 12 years later, there's a hearing to let him out of prison. And she then divulges who she is. She barges and speaks up in this hearing, which she isn't supposed to, And her revenge is to forgive him, which is something else because done right, this makes any intractable problem in the world potentially solvable. And I think that's important, particularly today. That's an incredible, incredible story that that she befriended the family. I was going to say, did she fall in love and marry someone? But but, um, you know, the forgiveness is as amazing that you can forgive someone that that actually hurts you or a family matter wow what a journey what a beautiful soul so, to... and if we could find some of that then anything is potentially solvable oh that sounds like an extraordinary is it going to be a tv series movies mini movie series i think it's a few hours on streaming and we could do it that way 
Oh yeah. And there's like documentaries, docudramas, many, many, yeah, for sure. you name it. Yeah. And then, so I want to get into like how you started doing your play. Can you tell us how that the sweet smell of success came about on Broadway? Well, I ran a, a company for uh, a family that I had known for many years and, and they gave me an opportunity and we did we were supposedly going to make some movies and TV, but John Lithgow called me and they lost some money. Uh, some backer fell out because John and I have been friends since we're 18 years old. He beat me out for a Fulbright years oh. <laughs> and years ago, but he worked for us on Martha's Vineyard at our theater. He's just a lovely man. And he and I were uh, the villains. He was the chief villain <laughs> in uh, Santa Claus, the movie with Dudley Moore. It was so much fun. And we've been friends and he always helps me out in my charity for Tourette syndrome. We honored him and Richard and Callista and Dylan all over the years. It's been terrific. And within an hour, the family who ran this company put a million dollars into Sweet Smell of Success. The old producers <laughs> used to say, boy, how did you get this money so quick? <laughs> it, was, it was great, but it was so good. And it, John was terrific. It had a book by John Guare and uh, music by Marvin Hamlish and lyrics by Craig Cornelia. And it was it directed by Nick Heitner. And I mean, it was something special. And it didn't really work because I don't know that they could redeem the hero who kills somebody in the first act. So it is, it, John was, John won the Tony as best actor. And it was just terrific, but it was so exciting to be producing a Broadway play. It was just lovely. I, I had such a nice time. It was uh, something special. And then I had found a small play called The Godfather Workout. It was performed in a theater above Jerry's Deli in the Valley. It's one man, man named Seth Eisler, who played every role in The Godfather. He played the head of the seven families. He'd jump over tables. It was some tour de force. And we raised the money and opened it off Broadway. And unfortunately, Seth hurt his back. Oh, and we man. had an understudy do it. And the understudy, no one could do this as well as Seth. Oh, man. And it, was, it just didn't work. But it, we, we did it at the American Place Theater for Wynne Hanman, who was my acting teacher and Kelly Gonda's acting teacher who ran the company. And it was just, it was a, a labor of love. Wow. What was the Godfather? What's the name of that one? The Godfather. S-G-O-D-F-A-D-D-A workout. The Godfather workout. Well, you know what? I'd like to see that streaming or a play. Like, I think it's time well, for the Godfather. And I don't I don't know if it's ever been filmed, but it was, he was something else doing that show. Oh, man. And, uh, wow. And, um, you know, speaking of sweet, sweet smell of success, and you're telling me the revenge story, so maybe you could have the sweet smell of revenge. Yeah, that would be nice. Mm -hmm. I gotta even get revenge made, though. That's what I'm working on now. I'm sure you will, you know, because it sounds so fabulous and exciting, and our audience is cheering for you, and I'm sure our Filmatics audience will like you. Uh, you're will very like, yeah? sweet. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and over the time, you know, you work with people like, I did Joe Dante and Alan Arkish's first movie called uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard, Joe Dante and Alan Arkish, 
used to cut trailers for Roger Corman. So they made up this movie. We shot it in 10 days. John Davison produced it, who produced Airplane. And it was so much fun because three girls go to Hollywood to make it as an actress. And at one point it's intercut with footage. So they're taking on the entire Filipino army. And it was such a, a, a kind of satire on movies. And, and it was so much fun. Uh, Commander Cody sang the theme song, Truckin' and Fuckin'. It was oh. unbelievable. <laughs> well, we're going to have to it do an art so rating for this second part. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah. you had an acting role in that, walking down Hollywood Boulevard, right? Uh, yeah, I played the, the male lead. And uh, Candace Railson, who was Queen of the Bees, played the female lead. And it was, it was just a delight. And I love those guys. We became all became good friends and, you know, it led to other work together. And it was always good. Oh, that's amazing. No complaints. So I just want to ask you real quickly before we talk about your charity. So how did COVID affect your art and your life and what's coming up for you? And then we're going to talk about your Tourette's charity. Can you just, um, let's, well, it's the name of the, it's Tourette's, uh, Tourette's, uh, what's the name of the organization? Tourette, the Tourette Association. The Tourette so Association. David Kelly was always into that. You know, David Kelly, when he did L.A. Law, kind of, they coined the phrase TV Tourette because there was a character on there who would shout epithets, which about less than 10% of Tourette's do. They uh, shout uh, epithets and things that they don't have much control over at all. And Tourette, by the way, is not a disease. It is a inherited syndrome, and it ha is it's marked by facial tics, motor tics, vocal tics, and um, it's a big umbrella because I have great um, uh, OCD, and I didn't realize I had Tourette until two of my sons out of my three were diagnosed with Tourette when they were young. And they had tough times and we realized that we, it was all about self-esteem and, you know, kids would make fun. They were the cruelest to other kids, of my, particularly to mine. We once came up with an idea and go, went into the schools and said, you know what, let's all tell a secret about ourselves. And my little boys would say, you know, when I do this or I, whoop, whoop, I make this noise or I do something. I do it because I was born with something called Tourette syndrome and I can't help myself. And they go, that's why you do this. It took some of the onus off of it. And we had no information. We were terrified as parents. So we started the Tourette syndrome association dinner. And the first year we ever did it, we did it at the Beverly Wilshire hotel. And I had all the heads of the networks and the studios there and we brought in a room, uh, a whole table of kids who had Tourette. And at one point during the dinner, you heard kids at the table shouting their epithets. Um, so a couple of them were going, fuck, fuck. fuck. <laughs> kids were turning around in this room of 600 people at the Beverly Wilshire. And I'll tell you something, at the end of two hours, everybody in that room understood Tourette a lot better than when they came in. That is so beautiful and that you, um, you know, protected your children because kids are bullies and there's a lot of online. Oh, bullying. boy. And we did it on all. Our, you know, David had a character do it. Peter McNichol on Ally McBeal had Tourette. 
and we had a real girl in Tourette. And David wrote an episode that I just loved. We used a real Tourette, and they want to kick her out of the classroom because she's so uh, noisy and uh, obtrusive and took people's minds off of what they were doing. And they end up before a judge, and the judge says, Wait a minute, we cannot homogenize our classrooms. We're better off by learning from people who are different than we are and to understand them and accommodate them and incorporate them into our worldview. And I think that's the answer to today. It's much more important to do that. Yeah. And kindness is a two-way street. Really, it's like, I just really feel. And I told you um, that I dedicated a book because um, to Pedro and the robot and Pedro stutters and his robot that he finds gives him the confidence to not be bullied by the kids. So, I mean, I, I'm doing my yeah. part by writing children's stories that um, have that the kids have issues. And I even wrote one because I'm, I'm hearing there's a lot of Asian bullying and clever and yeah. clever in the um, pirate ship. His best friend is Sue Ling and he takes her on this magical journey to cheer her up after crying, after being bullied. So people like you are so fantastic. You're an actor, a producer. You do beautiful things in the world. You make great content and you have this wonderful foundation where you protect your children and also you know, highlight and, and showcase and, you know, try to uh, give a view of what it's like having it and like shining the light so people can understand it and, and you know, be open to just, you know, um, let's just try to, you know, like each other and accept each other because we're all different. I have ADHD, dyslexia. We have so many things. But um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you as well. So what how what did you do during COVID? There's so many people that have been depressed. And I just want to know, how did it affect your life? And Well, it's, you know, I get it. It's uh, how blessed am I that I have a, a home I can live in and I can work out. But I had asthma, so I was really afraid at the beginning to go out and do anything. And lifelong asthma. Because you read about all this stuff. I luckily have just gotten a week ago, got my second uh, shot of Moderna. And, you know, trying to do things from home is not nearly as productive. We haven't even been able to get back in the, I can't get back in my office at CBS to clean it out. It's been closed. The lot has been basically closed for a year. Wow. And uh, it, in mid-March, it'll be a year. No prices, right? 16th. What? Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy, but it takes the spontaneity out of here. But you know what it does? It makes you look inside. It makes you kind of appreciate what you have because it could always be worse. And every night when you look at the news, all you hear is how things are so terrible for so many and how blessed that we could get through this and just survive it. And I am grateful. You know, gratitude is so important in this business. You know, years and years ago, I used to know George Clooney and I'd spend time with him and we had offices next to each other, right near each other. And he was just a lovely man, but he was grateful for what he had. And I just always admired that about him and talented, but gratitude. And you know what? It's important that we pass it on, that we le reach out to others and help those who need a little help. And, you know, I always try to do that whenever you can. And because I, I was lucky and grateful for, for all that I have. And it's important. And I think that's my 
that's my real lesson. And also learning some patience. I mean, I'm not a terribly patient man, but the pandemic forces you to somewhat be patient. You have no choice. Yeah, really beautiful. No wonder you're like, everyone loves working with you and you work with the best writers, the best producers. And I wanted to oh, ask you're you. Oh, very sweet. Yeah. So did you bake anything? Did you cook? Did you do any motorcycling? Did yeah. You any- I used to come home when they were children and say, where are we going to order from tonight, Dad? I was a terrible cook. <laughs> well, terrible. Oh, so yeah. I so eggs. <laughs> Here's some scrambled eggs. There you go, kids. Right? Yeah. People not go, good. Not good. Yeah. People are like you're telling your mom cooks. Do you cook? I go. Um, I can make a uh, salmon yeah. and uh, some scrambled eggs. Yeah. Here. So I want to know. Um, is where can uh, what's coming up for you so that our audience can keep up and see what's next? Is there something TV or film that you're working on that um our audience well, can keep up? And you know, out? I do some of these uh, cons. You know, sometimes we do. We get together and sign pictures for Jaws or Clue or Halloween, Halloween 2 I was in. And that's a lot of fun. And uh, I have a, my youngest son is going to get married. Oh, congratulations. Two of my kids, two of the three sons live in the UK. My oldest son is a Dharma Buddhist teacher and mindfulness teacher. Jordan Kramer He's really extraordinary and a great a leader of that new American Buddhist movement. And uh, my middle son is becoming a shrink and going to specialize in neurological disorders and Tourette in the UK. And my youngest son is a great salesman and he is getting married to a wonderful girl, distant cousin of the queen. And her great grandfather was Bomber Harris, who ran the RAF in World War II. Oh, and wow. just, I'm, it couldn't be better. And, if their mother were alive, she died about 11 years ago. If she were alive, uh, wherever she is in this world, she's smiling in the next world. Oh, she's yeah. smiling because they're doing well. Oh, how beautiful is that? And your son, so your son's getting married. And a distant a relative of the queen. Oh, gosh. Hello. You're going to have lots <laughs> very, of tea. Very, very distant. You're going to yes. have some tea. You're going to have lots of tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So soon you'll be able to um, fly to London as you have, like, the COVID shot. So that's good because you want it um, safe and healthy. So, um, oh, I hope so. Yeah. And so just um, before we wrap up, is there anywhere where our audience can, you know, um, keep up with you or, or your stuff? You're at CBS, so it'd be announced on CBS or TV shows and your films, right? Well, no, I'm not there anymore. Oh, I am okay. now on my own. And uh, it's this thing. And I have a big Southern soap we're taking out based on books. With a, I'm the only man involved in this team of all women who I just adore. They're writing it, and it's based on books called Peachtree Bluff, and it's just extraordinary. It's a tale, uh, it's a soap set in um, South Carolina, and it's just lovely, and um, it's, these are extraordinary women, and hopefully we're going to sell it very soon, and we'll get it made. Oh, so Peachtree Tales. Ah, sounds like Housewives. Peachtree Bluff. And um, I'm going to be watching that one. So Peachtree Bluff. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to have to nudge you. I have this kid's story. Since you guys play villains, how to get off of Santa's naughty list. I think I want to talk to you about that. (laughs) How to get off of Santa's naughty list. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, because you guys guys play villains. So who knows? 
But um, so and if and so, uh, is do you do social media or anything like that, or do you want to um, uh, you know, put a little social media? I do. I have uh, Jeffrey Kramer official is on Instagram, and it's mostly Jaws things because there's a lot of fanatics. F I N A T I C S, fin addicts. Oh love Jaws. Fin addicts. I love it. We got film addicts and fin addicts. Oh, so. Well, there's also a, a, a site called The Daily Jaws. It's on Twitter and on Instagram that I love. Oh. And, and actually, there's a guy named Matt Stapleton who's doing a, a graphic novel, comic book about Hendrix, which was my character. It's called Hendrix. And if you follow the Daily Jaws, you can read about that stuff and Matt Stapleton. It's all good. Oh, great. So, well, and, and so before COVID, were you going to those like comic cons or those, uh, those? I do it. There's a, uh, my, I have an agent, Dominic Mancini. He handles a lot of people and signings and he, at fullempireproductions.com. Promotion, sorry fullempirepromotions.com and uh, they do signings all over the world. I'm supposed to do one in London in July if it happens. So we'll see. Oh, that'd be But amazing. it's really nice to talk to fans and meet them and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's just it enervate. It just gives you great energy and uh, how nice to the idea that People love this film. Forty-five years later is just stunning. Yeah, because you uh, you have one of the most iconic and uh, and amazing directors, Steven Spielberg, who was just was born to direct. Just like you, when you see someone like a Steven Spielberg and um, Quentin Tarantino and my favorite Fellini, oh, Federico Fellini, the nicest man. I mean, he's just a a nice human being and a good one. That's nice to hear. Talented. Yeah, they just seemed like they were born to direct, and I think you were born to act and produce because you produce uh, outstanding very content. I'll do your show anytime. Yes, <laughs> yes, and we're so happy to have you. And so, um, uh, film addicts, you can also go to fin, fin addicts. That's an F I N, or the Daily Jaws, <laughs> the Daily Jaws. And he said, you, you're. If it happens, you said London in spring is going to be the next uh uh signing. Not London at the end of July. End of July, and is what is it called that um that? It's London Comic Con. London Comic Con, which Comic Con is so huge, and we love your character Hendrix and Jaws. We love Ally McBeal. We love the practice. Uh, we love, love, love the X Files, and you know what? We love, love you exactly how you are. And we're oh, Marilyn, <laughs> thank you, my dear. And it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I just want to thank uh, everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the show. You made us a, a top already in Apple rankings. And uh, until next week, uh, for next extraordinary, fabulous guest, I want to thank everyone. And I want to say thank you to Jeffrey Kramer.